Come on. Good morning, Church on the Hill. How's everybody doing this morning? Come on. Yes, my name is Pastor Jonathan, and I have a, a new job title as of recently. I am the campus pastor at Mansfield. And so, yeah. We oversaw our youth ministry for, for 10 years. My wife and I were youth pastors for 10 years at our youth ministry. And uh, we turned it over to spiritual son Cohen, who's going to be running it in, uh, in 2019. I'm excited for all the amazing things that are going to be happening. Come on, for our young people in 2019. Real excited for those things, and I'm excited to get to be with you guys this morning. Come on, 2018 has been a crazy year, hasn't it? You have made it. All 52 Sundays, we are here. This is a lot back at our day in 2018. A lot of times we can get retrospective or introspective, and, and we can start looking back at our year and just see the things that we missed and the areas we could have done better. But let me tell you something. God's proud of you. You're here on a Sunday morning. You showed up. Let me tell you something. We may, we may look back and say, wait, we're not where we wanted to be, but you're definitely not where you started. You're a lot further than where you're at now. So give yourselves a hand for being here. You made it, man. 2018, it's coming to a close. And let me tell you something. God's got some big things in store for us in 2019. But if we want 2019 to be different than 2018, there's a couple of things that we got to tweak and change and, and, and we got we to make happen. And that's the title of today's message is available. Look to the person next to you and say, say, I'm available. But not that kind of available. Not that kind of available where you're like, we don't want to cause any problems. If you're married and things like that, you're not that kind of available. Just say, I won't be available to be used by the Lord. I, we don't want to create any problems. We don't want to do anything like that. Sorry, Pastor Adam, if we, if we create any problems. But just look at the person next to you and say, I just want to clarify, I'm available for the Lord. And so just in case, there's some single people that just got all excited. He's like, yes. You better change that status on Facebook real quick. <clears throat> Look, sitting next to Booth Thang, right? So it's like, no, 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 no. I didn't even like that, bro. She didn't even know your name. She didn't even like you, but she told you she was available. Good luck. But the title of today's message is Being Available. And let me tell you something. A lot of times in the kingdom, all God needs is someone that says, I'm available. That's all he's needed. He just needs somebody that says, hey, look, I'm there. I'll show up. That's been the story of my life. I'm not the tallest. I'm not the fastest. Might be good looking, but that's about it. That's all I got going for me. I'm sure Hispanic and chubby, and that's it. And I can make people smile and laugh. But my whole life has been a life of availability. I just said, Lord, I'm available. Use me. When I met Pastor Adam, my senior in high school, in January of 2003, my best friend said, hey, we need a bass player. And he said, are you available on Wednesday nights? I said, I'm not very good, but I'll be available. And so I blocked out of my schedule on Monday nights and Wednesdays. And I said, Monday nights, band practice and small group, and Wednesday night is when we have service. And I blocked it out. When I graduated high school, my dad said, you need to go get a job. I said, yes, sir, I'll go get a job. And he kept asking me, why, why don't you get hired at these places? He said, because they said my availability doesn't work for them. He says, well, you're putting availability, like, open, aren't you? I said, no, I'm not. I got commitments on Monday night and on Wednesday night. He says, well, you need to change your availability. I said, I've made myself available for the Lord in those two days. Let me tell you, I got a job. I got a job and I prospered and I had a great job. It was awesome. After that season ended, Pastor Adams started a missions organization called Global Youth Net. And he said, man, we'd love if you and Myrna wanted to be a part of that. And so me and Myrna were a part of that. And what that meant was you just showed up at small group and then you went on a summer missions trip. Everybody else was raising funds to do that, and, and we joined in, and, and we said, we'll go help, and we'll train young people around the world. We'll do our part. We'll do what we can. And both Myrna and I were working full-time jobs, and, 
And it came to a spot where we bought a house in November. We bought that house and right after we got married in November of 2007. We bought our first house together, and we were all excited, and we loved it, and it was awesome, and it was amazing. In December of that year, I felt the Lord say to me, hey, son, I'm calling you to go to full-time missions. I'm calling you to be full-time at Global Youth Net. And I was like, well, Lord, full-time at Global Youth, they don't pay anything. There's no money to be paid. He said, that's right, raise funds. I was like, I just bought a house. Were you not here? I thought I heard you tell me about a house. I'm so confused. I'm like, Lord, what's going on here, man? He says, you need to go full-time missions. I said, okay. So we prayed about it, prayed about it. In February, I approached my boss, the, the company I worked at. And I said, hey, look, man, the Lord's calling me to full-time missions to go. You know that thing that we do? He said, yeah, the Lord's calling me to be full-time at that. I said, so I'm going to resign my position. Thank you so much. Give me my, my two weeks' notice, and, uh, and I'm going to pursue a full-time missions. You're going to be getting a support letter for me. Would you and your wife please consider supporting us? And, and Myrna and I, as we go and we do full-time missions, traveling the world, telling people about Jesus. And he says, you know what? He says, you send me a newsletter and we'll support you. And, and to sow into you guys right away, I'm going to give you a month's pay. And he gave me a month's pay. And before I left, he said, if you ever need a job, you can always come back here. I'll make room for you. All we did was made ourselves available. From there, we traveled the world ministering to young people training young people all throughout Latin America. It was amazing. It was a great time. And then that season came to an end. And we were, Church in the Hill was flourishing and starting to take off. And, and we came back and we said, Pastor Adam, how can we help? How can we help? We want to make ourselves available. He said, well, well we need help growing Church in the Hill. And I said, we'll do whatever we need. So we were meeting once a month in the rec center. And we had our kids ministry set up in a different room. And we would rotate in. And you, you, once a month, you did your kids' ministry. And so I was doing kids' ministry, and I noticed that there was a big gap between the older kids and the younger kids. And we had some preteens in there, and I told Myrna, I said, hey, babe, we need to start a small, a, a, a small group. She said, okay, we'll make our Wednesday nights available for them. And so we started a, a, a small group with these homeschool kids that were a part of our church. And they loved it, and it was awesome, and it was great. The crazy thing about homeschool kids is they don't have anywhere to be in the morning, Right? So I got go to I gotta go to work in the morning, and they got, like, all the time to party. And, and this is, like, their social outing. They love it. So, so by, like, 845, I'm like, hey, you need, you need to call your parents, text your parents. Oh, yeah, yeah, okay. 1015, I'm like, hey, where the heck are your parents at, man? He's like, oh, I need to text them. You need, I told you to text them an hour ago. I'm ready to go to bed, man. Myrna's already asleep. I'm with the kids. We're just, like, watching the news. You know, I was like, what is going on? I got no more energy to entertain you anymore, bro. I have, you ate everything I had. I ain't got nothing else. Oh, don't worry, Pastor. I'll make something. It's like, okay, you go ahead, right? It's homeschool kids, man. They're crazy. And from that grew our youth ministry, that group of homeschool kids. We, we began to grow our youth ministry. They, they knew nobody, so it was really tough. You know, it was like, I brought everybody I know. You know, it was like, all right, well, there's like four of y'all here. Is there anybody else you know? No, not really. You know, it's like, oh, my gosh. It was crazy. And we grew that thing, and we grew it to the youth ministry that we know today. And from there, we got a phone call one day from Miss Jamie. And she says, is there anybody that, that would be willing to, to take some, some gifts to the, uh, the teachers at the ninth grade center? And Myrna and I said, we'll be available. We'll go do that. And we showed up with a, with a box of, of gifts for the ninth grade center. We walked in. Anaya, my daughter, was probably nine months old at the time. And we walked in and, and wheeled her in there. And we began to give gifts to teachers. And in that moment, I began to develop a relationship with the principal that was there at the time. And began to share my heart for youth ministry and what we had done in other countries. And I said, I'd, I'd love an opportunity to come and, and, and be with you guys and be with your students. That opportunity turned into something that has been amazing. 
that, it, that we've developed a relationship with the school district. We've been in every high school that the city has to offer, ministered to hundreds of young people right on their very own campuses, all because we said we'll be available to do something. Seven months ago when Pastor Adam and Ms. Jamie approached us to take the campus at Mansfield, Myrna and I both said no. We said, no, we, we don't want to do that. We love our young people. But then I started noticing it at, 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 our, at our Wednesday night services. I was the old guy in the room. I was like, oh, this is weird. This is strange. I'd ask Cohen, hey, is your, are you sore? Is your back hurting? Do your feet hurt? He's like, no, Pastor Jonathan, I got another three hours in me. He's like, dude, I was done 20 minutes ago. My feet hurt so bad. We'd be having, we'd have, you know, Wednesday night fun nights, I'd be sitting down. I'd be like, hey, y'all go run around. Y'all do y'all's thing. <laughs> I'd be sitting over here in the corner. Right? I was like, dude, I've become my dad. Oh, my gosh, right? I knew, I knew I had aged out of youth ministry when I didn't integrate to Snapchat, when I didn't fully make the, the change over to Snapchat. That's when I, I felt like, you know, back in the, in the Old West, you know, when people, they made it so far. It's like, why did you only migrate to, like, Montana? Why don't you go all the way to California? Oh, because there was a giant river we couldn't cross, right? I felt like, like, like Snapchat was that giant river. They left me in Montana. I was like, I'll see you all later. you all keep going and progressing. I'm just going to stay right here. I, may, I, I ended up creating a Bitmoji too late. You know, I was like, oh, by the time I created my Bitmoji, it was already passed. And, like, and I was like, why are you sharing? That's dumb. I was like, okay, sorry. Right? And I was like, I'm just going to stay off Snapchat. I realized that aged out. And, and then someone texts me asking me questions about Snapchat. And I was like, you know what, sir, Lord, that's you. We need to do Mansfield. We sat with Pastor Adam and Shamey and said, hey, we're committed to the success of Church in the Hill. Whatever you had need of, we'll do. Whatever you need us to do, we'll do. We got the opportunity in Mansfield, not because we're the, we're the most gifted not because we're the best, simply because we said, Lord, we'll be available to you. Lord, we'll be available to, to be used however you ask. Whatever you say, Lord, we make ourselves available. I'm sure you had amazing things happen in 2018. I know there's been amazing things that have happened in our small groups. Papa Mimi have shared and other network pastors have shared about how we've launched new small groups. How people are getting set free of things. The amazing stories that have come out of our small groups. It's been so great. I'm so proud of how far our church has come. We have fought in 2018 to stay a multiracial, multi-generational congregation in a world in a day and age where they're trying to split that apart. We have stayed the course. We have fought for it. It's been amazing to see that. Where others are trying to build up borders, we're fighting to tear them down. And it's amazing to see what Church in the Hill has become. But if you want your 2019 to be any different than your 2018, then you've got to make yourself more available to the Lord. He's not looking for the most gifted. He's not looking for the best looking. He's not looking for the tallest. Definitely not the tallest if I got picked. He's not looking for any of those things. He's simply looking for your availability. In Matthew chapter 20, Jesus is telling this parable, this story, and we'll turn there in your Bibles. If you got them, we'll turn there. Matthew chapter 20, and it starts off right here in verse 1, and this is what it says. It says, For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and sent him into his vineyard. See, I don't know if you've ever been a part of harvest time or you've ever been a part of any kind of major agricultural thing. But when it's harvest time, it is go time. It, it is like is crazy, crazy work because your income, everything that you do is dependent on how fast you can harvest your crop. My grandfather owned a small little orchard of about 80 trees in the Rio Grande Valley of South Texas. And when I would go down in the summertime, he'd say, mijito, you want to go hang out? And I said, sure, let's go hang out. 
And he said, okay, grab the tools. And I was like, oh, what do you mean grab the tools? I thought we were going to hang out, Grandpa. He said, we are going to hang out. I was like, okay. So I'd go grab the tools. We hit out to the orchards, and he'd have me do yard work. I'd weed all the trees. And he was like, Mijito, do you like hanging out with me? I was like, no, not right now, Grandpa. I don't. It's terrible. My hands hurt. What is this? Do you have any gloves? He's like, no. One time he's like, I'm going to make you a special lunch. You go work, and I'll make lunch. I was like, oh, okay, Grandpa. So I'm out working all by myself, and he's working the barbecue pit. I show up for lunch. He's like, it's time for lunch. He's like, all right, cool. I show up. He forgot plates. He forgot, he forgot drinks. Or no, he brought a drink. He didn't bring no cups. We had two liters, no cups. He showed up completely unprepared. All he had was a fork. I was like, Grandpa, how are we going to eat? He's like, just put on a fork and eat it. I was like, like he knew. Like, I was like, oh, okay, Grandpa. It was crazy. But I worked the harvest. I worked it. My grandfather, man, he sweated for that thing. He loved it. It wasn't his source of income, but he loved it because he was able to bless people with it. He put bags of oranges together and give them to people. It was awesome to see how much he loved that thing. He hated woodpeckers with a passion. He hated woodpeckers. For Christmas one year, he asked for a 410 shotgun. Like, why, what is this 75-year-old man doing asking for a 410 shotgun? We had no idea. So he asked for a shotgun. That summer, I came out to hang with him, and, and he's got a shotgun in his truck. I said, Grandpa, what do you have your shotgun for? He's like, oh, I mean, he told me, you know, because of woodpeckers. And I was like, oh, okay. Well, come to find out, uh, these, these woodpeckers had, had moved into his orchard, and he was picking them off the power line. Well, someone in the neighborhood called and said, hey, someone's shooting guns. Texas Parks and Wildlife show up. My grandfather's shooting like some rare migratory woodpecker bird. <laughs> and so, so he's shooting them off the power lines, you know, bam. And, and so the, uh, the Texas Parks and Wildlife guy says, hey, you, you, know, you know you're shooting a, 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 you know, an eastern condor, you know, traveling woodpecker. And my grandfather said, I don't care what, what kind of woodpecker I'm shooting. It's eating my oranges. I'm going to shoot him. And he said, well, well how, how many have you shot? And he said, come here, I'll show you. And he opens his tailgate. He's got like six of them back there. He's like, like my grandfather's proud of him. He's like, hey, check it out. Look, six. Be here all day. I'll get 10, I promise you. Yesterday I got 12. They're getting smaller in number. We're fixing this problem, right? Text Parks Wildlife dude said, hey, it's $250 per bird. Wrote him a ticket. Right? I was like, oh, my gosh. It's good to know people in high places, right? My, my uncle was a chief of police in Far Texas. Happened to know the judge that was seeing the case. Happened to know that that judge enjoyed to hunt. My uncle happened to have a hunt that he could give that judge. And my grandfather got us, got clean, so it was awesome. It was great. But I'd imagine that this landowner loved his vineyard. I know, right? It's being recorded. My grandpa's his past. He's okay. I can't, he's been exonerated. He's with heaven now. He's with Jesus. is probably having a conversation with him right now. What happened, Richard? So anyway, I'm sure that landowner, I'm sure that landowner loved his vineyard. He took care of that thing. He probably named it, you know, Great Farms. I don't know what he named his vineyard, but he named it something creative. And he's hiring people early in the morning. He's going out and he's getting them. And he's looking for the strongest, the tallest, the ones with the best work ethic, the ones that look like they, they can really make something happen. Because he knows that his harvest is so critical that he wants to trust it in the best hands. As he brings them all together, they agree to a rate of pay, one denarius, which obviously was a decent, good pay because they all agreed to do it. You didn't have anybody starting a union saying, we need higher pay. They all said, yes, we'll do it. And they all showed up and they started working. And they understood that we have to get this job done today. They wouldn't work past sunset. It wasn't Jewish custom. They had to make it happen in the day. And as Jesus tells this story in Matthew chapter 20, it goes on later in the day. Nine o'clock, he begins to notice, oh my gosh, 
we, we need more people. Sends his foreman out to get more people. Noon, he sends his foreman out to get more people. Three o'clock, he sends his foreman out to get good people. And when he gets these people, he doesn't, he doesn't sit down and have the same conversation on pay that he did with the people he hired in the morning. He says, I'll pay you a fair wage for your day's work. A fair wage. And they all said, okay. See, what happens is they all gather together, and if they don't get picked, they don't work for the day. you got a family to feed. You've got people to provide for. You need work. And they're sitting there, and they're, they're hanging out, and they got, man, they were just happy to get picked. They said, we'll pay you a fair day's wage. That's great. I'll pay you a fair wage. Well, towards the end of the chapter here, we see Jesus talking. We'll pick it up in verse 6. Matthew chapter 20, verse 6. It says, about five in the afternoon, he went out and still found others standing around. He asked them, why have you been standing here all day long doing nothing? Because no one hired us, they answered. He said to them, you also go work in my vineyard. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and going on to the first. The workers who were hired about five in the afternoon came and each received a denarius. See, what happened was is he went out and said, hey, man, we're in the last moments. We have to get this done by sunset. His foreman comes to him and says, hey, hey, Bill, we're not going to make it happen today. And he tells him, we have to make it happen today. Go get more workers, whatever it takes, go get them. He goes and gets them. The guys in the morning probably got an introduction to the farm. Hey, how are you doing? This is Great Farms, founded in 2 AD. This is great, whatever. And he's given the history of the whole farm. 377 acres of the world, of Israel's greatest grapes, right? You know, all this stuff. He's given an introduction. They feel really proud, fit them for the uniform, gave them a name tag, sends them out. The guys that come in later in the afternoon, they don't get such a good introduction. Hey, that's Bill. He's the guy that's walking around. He's the owner. Hey, make sure you all do a good job. The guys at 5 in the afternoon, hey, look, dude, show up, pick up buckets, and bring them over here. That's what we need you to do. The work in the afternoon was so much harder. They didn't even discuss pay. They just showed up, and they said, you know what? This guy seems to be fair. He's giving us an opportunity. We don't even have to discuss pay. He'll pay us at the end of it because he's a good guy. They didn't even discuss pay. They had no idea what they were going to get paid. They were just happy to have been picked. See, what happened was is at the end of it all, at the beginning, they were picking everybody that was the best. Everybody that looked good. Everybody that had a great work ethic. All of those things. Towards the middle of the day, there's people that hadn't get picked. At the very end, you probably got the, the older guys. The guys that they, they can't move as fast. The guys that might have had some disabilities. You, you, you're looking at those people. The ones that had been overlooked, but in the afternoon, They were still standing there. They were still waiting because they made themselves available. The master comes to them and says, I have need of you. Come work in my vineyard. When they showed up, they had no idea what they were going to get. They didn't know what the reward was going to be. They just knew that they needed something. And they show up in the last hour, and they do their best to help. It's the hardest work. Y'all know after lunchtime, productivity goes down, right? After lunch, all you're thinking about is your nap, right? You start looking at the Netflix queue, and you start putting stuff in there for what you're going to do when you get home from work, right? You just start looking at it. You're like, all right, look, man, look. Uh, after lunch is the hardest time. I got to go take a walk. I got to go, I gotta go take a walk. You're sitting there, and you're just like, productivity's going down. You're like, oh, Excel spreadsheet ain't making no sense, right? So you're just trying to, you're just trying to figure out life. You're like, I just need a nap. I need five minutes, right? And so they're sitting there. They're coming in at the end, re-energizing everybody. Hey, guys, we can do it. Come on, we can do it. We can make this happen. They weren't the strongest. They weren't the best. They were, over, they, they were, they were passed by by everybody else. 
But the master had need of them. And they were available. And they said yes. At the end of the day, they didn't know what there was no commitment of payment made to them. But at the end of the day, they received the same reward that everybody else did. They received the same reward as everybody else. They came in, they served the best they could. And they received the same reward that everyone else did. They did it with no promise, no guarantee. They did it because the master said, we need you. A lot of times, man, we begin to compare ourselves to others. We say, I haven't been in the game as long as so-and-so. You know what? I, I, I'm not as strong as so-and-so. I don't think I can do it like them. There's no way I could ever lead a small group like my small group leader. There's no way I could ever play guitar like Lance does. There's no way I could ever sing like any kid. There's no way I could do anything like that. And so a lot of times we'll just say, we're just going to sit out. We ain't even going to show up. We ain't going to make ourselves available to be picked. But let me tell you something. He has need of you. See, Instagram and social media haven't been any good for us when it comes to comparison. What happens is a lot of times we hold back our availability because we're waiting on something better to come along. I think some of the guys that were picked at noon were thinking, oh, no, 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 I'm holding out for Mr. Wright. Mr. Wright pays good, right? And so it's like, well, Mr. Wright with Wright Farm shows up. You didn't get picked. Like, oh, shoot. Well, well, maybe Mr. Dubs comes by. He'll pick me. Mr. Dubs show up. He didn't even get you. He didn't even harvest that year. And you show up at noon, you just need a job, right? He said, dude, I'll take whoever I can get. And a lot of times we hold out our yes. We're, we're, we're holding our availability because we think something better is going to come along. When the fact is that you need to invest your availability right where you're at, cultivate that, and make it everything that you want it to be in the field you're in. See, social media has hurt us with that. A lot of us uh, 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 have been diagnosed with FOMO. How many of you guys know what FOMO is? A few people, Roxanne knows what FOMO is. FOMO is fear of missing out. Some people say, oh, that's not what I thought I got. I got this fungus on my toe. That's FOMO. <laughs> no, nah, never mind. I got something more serious. I need to go get that checked out. WebMD that. You know, it's like, oh, no, you in trouble. WebMD's the worst, right? You either got a common cold, you've got cancer, or you contracted an STD or something, right? It's like, the, that doesn't even make sense. Man, I don't even know how I got that. That just makes no sense. Go see the doctor. WebMD's just trying to put fear in you. But a lot of us got FOMO, fear of missing out. The fear of missing out. And social media has caused that. Check this out right here. It says more than one-third, 36% of millennials, 18 to 34, have aimed to deceive their followers by posting on social media. Vacation images that make trips look better than they are. How many of you guys have ever been sitting there after lunch, falling asleep? And then all of a sudden you pull out your Instagram. Right? And the person you graduated high school with is in the Bahamas. You're like, oh, dude, I hate you so much. What's wrong with you? I'm struggling to stay awake right now. Oh, my word. And all of a sudden what happens is, is you look that up, you see that they're in the Bahamas, and your Google search immediately reflects that, bahamavacations.com, right? And so you pull it up, I'm going to make plans to go there, right? You start looking at vacations, and all of a sudden when you were getting into that slump, uh, uh, you all of a sudden you got a little boost of energy as you're thinking about going to the Bahamas and everything you're going to do. And you already picked your list, put it all on your cart, and it's fun and it's awesome because they provoked you a little bit of jealousy. See, what happens is a lot of times we begin to see other people say, I'm going to hold out for something a little better. I, I wonder what so-and-so did. When the fact of the matter is that's all deceived. That's all created to make you feel that. This is what it says here. It says, of those who confess to this social media deception, 65% do so in an attempt to make others envious. While 51% use it as an opportunity to compete with others who do the same. It's all fake. We begin to compare ourselves to things that, aren't, that don't even exist. They're imaginary things. God, man, the Lord's just looking for you to be available. That's all he wants. 
He's just wanting you to say, yes, I'll do it. Yes, I'll make myself available. I'll stand here. Lord, I'll wait for you. I'll serve faithfully where I'm at. Lord, I'll do that. That has been the, the thing in my life. I just serve faithfully. Lord, if I'm going to do it, I commit to it with all my heart. Man, when we were serving, you know, Myrna and I with that small group, man, we were faithful with it. There were six people. We didn't have to get permission to go anywhere. We just showed up. Hey, text your mom. Tell them we're going to Whataburger. Okay. And they were generally mostly all related. So it was like one text message. I went out. That was it. And so we were good to go. It was awesome. And it was fun. We stayed faithful to that. And as we showed our faithfulness to it, and we said, Lord, we'll make ourselves available. He increased, and he increased, and he increased. There's three things I want you guys writing down on making yourself available in 2019. The first thing is this right here on your availability. Know that your availability is less about talent and more about heart. It's less about talent and more about heart. Many of us get caught up in thinking that's about what we can do. But it's not that at all. And Lord wants somebody that's just saying, Lord, I'll serve. I'll give it to you. I've, I've got a little bit. Lord, you, you can do a lot with it. In Judges chapter 6, we meet this guy named Gideon. And Gideon, at this point in time, the Israelites are being oppressed by the Midianites. And the Midianites, these people, the Bible says, man, later on, that they were, their camels numbered the sand like locusts. There were so many of these people. The Israelites were, were held up in the cliffs and, and, and in the caves. They were, they were scared of these people. They were in hiding. And the Lord is looking for someone who would deliver his people out of the hand of the Midianites. And he finds this, this little faithful kid by the name of Gideon. And when the chapter opens up, Gideon is threshing wheat in a wine press. That's not where you thresh wheat. And he's doing that because they're in hiding and they're scared. And he has this interaction with an angel of the Lord. And we'll pick it up right here in verse 14 of Judges chapter 6. And they had this interaction. And before the angel of the Lord leaves, he turns to him and says, Go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? Pardon me, my Lord. And this is what Gideon says to him. But how can I save Israel? McClan is the weakest of Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. The Lord answered, I will be with you, and you will strike down the Midianites, leaving none alive. He comes to this kid. This kid had believed everything that everybody else had ever said about him. I'm the least in my family, and my family is the least in my entire town. You have no idea who you're talking to. Why don't you go pick on somebody else, man? That, that other dude's super tall, great, awesome, at like, at like slingshot and javelin. He's awesome. Why me? Because he's looking for someone that's available and someone who will be faithful to it. When I grew up in, in middle school, I had a very, very short um, football career because I quit growing in the eighth grade, right? And so Hispanic people don't get much taller than me, and, uh, and some of them that are taller, I'm extremely jealous. But I, I played for two years. In, in, in middle school, and I got a buddy of mine who played with me sitting over there. His name's Joe, and, and we played football together, and, and, and I wasn't very good. I, I was short. I was chubby. Not much has changed, and, and, and I, I, would, I would get tired quickly. I couldn't run long distances before getting winded, right? And so everybody else seemed to be able to breathe just fine, but me, I'd run out of air quickly. And so I was like, there's something wrong. But my dad told me, if I let you play football, you can't quit. You got to see it through. And I said, yes, sir. I'll do that. Well, I didn't realize how hard it was going to be. First day of practice, I wanted to quit. I was like, this is terrible. Well, they running. I was the first one to leave the starting line, and I was the last one to cross the finish line. I was like, this is the worst. Why am I doing this? But I showed up every day for practice. I'd show up a little early. And I'd get there, and, and at the end of practice, I'd help carry the stuff back with the coaches. And I'd do my best. I, I, I'd put my heart into it. 
And I wasn't the best on the team by no means. I, I, was, I definitely wasn't the strongest, but I played my heart out. And I did the best I could. And you know what? They gave me a lot of playing time. My parents were there, and they'd always cheer me on. My mom and dad would be at every single game. They'd be at all the games. And, and, and so much so, my dad, my dad lost like 30 pounds while I played football in those two years because he'd run up and down the bleachers with us all the way back and forth. It didn't matter. And all I can remember was my dad yelling, you can do it. You're the best. I was like, Dad, I'm not the best. I'm totally not the best. I'd run out there. He'd be yelling at me, you got it, son. You can do it. And I forget the play. He's like, oh, Lord, what am I supposed to do? And so all, all I know is I can do it, and, and I'm the best. And that's, 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 all, that's all I remember. I can do it. I'm the best. You can do it. You're the best. You can do it. You're the best. And so I was like, oh, my gosh. Be so terrified. I get, I get knocked in my butt, be on the ground. Get up. You're the best. I was like, okay. And so I could hear my mom crying, you fell down. I was like, stop, man. But my parents were there cheering me on. It wasn't about how good I was, not even close. It wasn't about that at all. It was about the heart. It was about showing up. It was about saying, you know what, man, I'll invest the time. I'll do my best. Whatever you need me to do, I'll do it. And that's what we need to get focused on. Second thing is this right here. It doesn't matter when you show up, it just matters that you do. It doesn't matter when you show up, it just matters that you do. The guys at the 5 o'clock hour, they came in and they saved the guy in the vineyard. Man, they came in and they saved the day for him. They weren't, they weren't going to work past sunset. It wasn't their custom. They had to get it all turned in before the sunset. He had to pay them before the sunset. It was this critical moment. And it didn't matter when they showed up. They showed up at 5.15 with traffic. He called them at 5 o'clock. 5.15 they showed up. We're done working at 6.30 because that's when the sun starts to set. Go for it. Work. And they worked, their, they worked their hearts out. You know, it didn't matter when they showed up. It just mattered that they did. At the end of it all, they had the same reward as everybody else did. I don't know about you guys, but Latino people have a problem with showing up on time, Right? Latino people have a really, and, and, and the further south from the border you are, the later you are, right? So if you're like from Brazil, it's like, we'll see you tomorrow. Don't even worry about it. Catch us online, dude. Like, I'll see you next Sunday. I'm sorry, bro. I love you, man. It's true. <laughs> yeah, it's true. But, and, and, and so, so my family, we're, we're always late, always late. My dad, I swear, was in the military. He never served, but it was like, dude, the military would have loved you, bro. Because on Sunday morning, that was the most hectic time in the Pena house. Oh, my gosh. My dad would wake up like at 6 in the morning for whatever reason and start getting everybody up. I was like, look, this is the day the Lord had made. I'll rejoice and be glad in it. And my dad's beating my door. Get up. You know, I was like, dude, what's going on, man? Let, let me open my eyes a minute. And so we'd be getting together, and my dad's famous line was like, I'm in the car. I'm in the car. And he'd go sit in the car for like seven, eight minutes by himself. Like just with a car running, you know, just sitting in there. I was like, oh, man. And we'd be running late. My mom would be getting us ready, and we'd come in, and you could cut the tension in the truck with a knife. You like, you walk in, it's like, oh, dude, I ain't gonna say nothing. Like, Dad, you, you know, you could just feel it. You know what I'm saying? It's like, oh, bro, you could taste it. It's like, this is bad. Oh, Lord. I want donuts, too. I was like, I ain't gonna ask him to get donuts. I'm gonna get hit. So I had my little sister, hey, Jeanette, ask that if we can stop and get donuts. Okay, right? Dad, can we stop and get donuts? Pow, we late. You know, so I was like, oh, my gosh. Oh, I'm sure glad I didn't ask, right? So this one morning, I'll never forget, me and my mom is running late, doing her makeup in the truck, and, and we had about a 20-minute drive to church, and she, she's doing her makeup, and the last thing she got to do is curl her eye, eyelashes, right? 
And so, and so she's got these little clampy things that go on, on her eyes, right? It look like pliers or something, right? And so, so I'm, sitting, I'm sitting in the back seat, and Dad's driving crazy, right? And so I got my safety belt on tight, and we're sitting in the Lord's prayers, like, Lord Jesus, if you take me now, Lord, I'm right with you. And so I'm like, man, we, we are about to do this. And I see it as we're going down there. We're on Beltline headed down. And I look over, and the light changes from from green to yellow. And I was like, oh, man, he's going to go for it. Sure enough, he lays down on the pedal. And we start heading towards it. Oh, no. My mom's curling her eyebrow, her eyelashes, you know. And I was like, he ain't going to make it. So I tightened my seatbelt. I was like, man, we're about to crash. This is is bad. We're never going to make it to church. And so at the last second, he decides to hit the brakes. And I go through like, and so we all lean forward, you know. And have you ever hit the brakes so hard, your hands just go like, ah, right? So, so he, he hit the brakes, and, and we're doing that thing. And my mom was like, Oof. And she had her right eyelashes in the little clampy things. As he hit the brakes, she didn't let go. And she went, and she looks over at my dad. And she says, David. And I look at my mom. Boy, I've never seen anything like it before in my life. I was like, what happened to your face? Your eyelashes are gone. One eye was blinking at me. You know, I was like, oh, my gosh. <laughs> she was so mad. She looks at my dad. She said, you just thought we were going to be late. And I was like, oh, dad's in trouble. So we pulled into a Kmart, and she got down, and she was in there for like 40 minutes. I was like, mom, it don't take you that long to pick an eyelash out. What is wrong with you? She's having breakfast, got coffee. And I was like, man, she was making him wait. But you know what? It doesn't matter when you show up. It just matters that you do. It don't matter how you get there. It doesn't matter what you've been through. It doesn't matter. All that matters is that you show up. Come on, you, you take the life. You say, look, man, Lord, there's no way I can, I can show up. You have no idea the life I've lived. He wouldn't want me. He has need of you. And you, you don't know what me and my wife have been through in our marriage. It doesn't matter, bro. He has need of you. A lot of times we'll use that as an excuse. Well, you know what? We just need to show up, and we just need to get in the game. And the last thing is this right here, is you need to understand that the master does have need of you. He does need you. Each one of you are uniquely called and gifted for kingdom business. There's people that will never come to the Lord unless you reach out to them. You know that cousin that you have that doesn't listen to anybody else but somehow listens to you? Hey, you need, you need to control Julio. He's crazy, right? And so you got in the front yard. like, Julio, what are you doing, bro? Come down, man. Yeah, you're right. And he comes inside. Don't listen to nobody else. Come on, that's where you need to flourish. That's where you need to be. The master has need of you. When Myrna and I said yes to the call of Global Youth Net, and we were traveling. We were on a, on a trip in Guatemala. And we were doing some school ministry there. And, and they had us in a, in a big, like, courtyard kind of thing. And there's probably 200 kids there, and, and they said, all, all we want you to do is we'll give you a 30-minute time slot, and we'll just have you do some games, and you can invite them to a service that you have later that night. And so we were doing these games and stuff, and we were being crazy. And, and I learned one phrase in Spanish really well, quien quien en dulce, who wants candy? And, like, everybody would, like, go nuts. Ah, it was crazy. It was crazy. And so we did the whole candy thing, and, and people came, and, and, and we, were, we were, you know, doing a game with them. And, and about three-quarters of the way through it, the principal comes to us and says, hey, what we had happening after, after this got canceled, and you guys got it for another 30 minutes. And so the missionary comes to me and says, hey, hey, Jonathan, do you, do you want to share with the kids? Uh, just, just preach to them for 30 minutes. And I was like, oh, uh, okay. You know, I'll do it. I don't have anything ready, but, but I'll do it. 
And so, uh, so I stood there and, and, and through a translator presented the gospel to these kids. And while we were doing the, the game, there was this kid in the back who, who kept walking in and out of the restroom. He kept walking down the restroom and, and, and he wasn't wearing a uniform shirt like everybody else was. He definitely looked different. And so he, he wasn't paying attention at all to what we were doing, walking in and out of the restroom, kind of being a little bit of a distraction. And so when it came time to, to share whatever, we had everybody sit down, and, and he made his way to, to the front. And we're sitting there, and, and he had this weird thing about him. He was like swaying back and forth. And the, the principal and the missionary guy, we kind of had a beat on him because just something went right about him. And so we're sitting there ministering, and, and, and we give a call to salvation. And we have people standing up and say, man, if anybody wants to receive prayer, come to the front. And this kid bum rushes up front and comes right at me. And the principal and the missionary, they, they get him and, and they're talking to him in Spanish. And, and they're talking to this guy. And, and, and he's really anxious. They say, no, no, I just need to talk to that guy. I just need to talk to that guy. And so they're like, well, he wants to talk to you. So well, let's talk to him. And he begins to tell us this story. He begins to kind of lay out what his life looks like. And he says, I come to school every day. I got no friends. People pick on me and they bully me. And then when I go home, my dad's an alcoholic. And... And I don't pay any attention to me. My mom works all the time because my dad's always drunk. And so I really don't have much of a home life. I've got nobody that really believes in me. I don't believe in God. Because if God is good, why would he let this happen to me? And he begins to tell us a story of how today he was going to kill himself. At the end of school, he was going to go to school. And when the bus dropped him off, he had to cross this, this little ditch thing to get to his, where he lived. And we're going to drop him off. He was going to go hang out in that ditch, slit his wrist, and be done with his life. Because no one cared about him. No one had any interest in him. Because there's no reason for him to live. And he says, I don't believe in God. But I went to this restroom right back over there. And I, I said, God, if you're real, and I don't believe you are, but send somebody that I'll know. He says, when you showed up and you guys were doing games, he said, there's no way that's God. Y'all were just playing and having fun. He said, but then had everybody sit down. He says, I got, I got scared. And then when you started talking about the love of Jesus, he says, I knew God was real, and he was talking to me. He said, open up his back face. He says, look at this. He says, I'm telling the truth. And he pulls out this big knife he had in his backpack. He says, today was the day I was going to kill myself. We got a chance to pray with him and lead him to Jesus. Let me tell you something. There's stories just like that. There's people just like that who are waiting for you to say that you're available to minister to them. There wasn't nothing special about what we did. They didn't show up because we put billboards up. They didn't show up because of me. They didn't show up because of none of those things. All we say is, Lord, I'll be available. I'll go. I'll show up. I'll do it. Man, the master had need of me at that time. And in that moment, we saw a harvest. I want to leave you with this scripture right here. In Matthew chapter 9, verses 36 and 37. This is what Jesus says. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Guys, all Jesus is looking for is people to say, I'm available. That's it. If we want our 2019 to be different than our 2018, Let's increase our availability. He's so proud of you. He's so proud of you. How far we've come. And 2018's been a hard year for us. And me and Myrna, we, we, we led our youth ministry for 10 years. 
and trusted that to a son and are doing something brand new. Well, we just said, Lord, we'll be available. I've seen your faithfulness to me in every other area of my life. Why would you leave me now? Why would you not be faithful to me now? Lord, I know you're being faithful, God. If you would stand up all across the room and bow your heads and close your eyes as we close out for the day. If you give me just a few more minutes just to minister with you just for a moment. With every eye closed and every head bowed, I just want to give you a, a moment where you can create a personal space. Just a moment where you can kind of feel alone and give you a private moment. And today we talked about our availability. How it doesn't matter when we showed up in the parable of the vineyard, it just matters that we do. And the, the reward was the same, no matter how long they worked. I want to tell you this right now, the reward for you at the end of your life is still the same. He's calling to you right now. He's saying, will you make yourself available to me? See, at the end of our life, we're promised one thing. We're promised death. There will come a time when your life ends, when your heart stops beating. The Bible's really clear. It says to be absent from the world, to be present with the Father. And when you get to heaven, I imagine it being this, like this, like this giant checkpoint. When they ask for your spiritual passport, you either do or you don't have the stamp of heaven. That's the only way to get in. I want to give you an opportunity right now to make yourself available to God. Say, God, I give you everything. I give you my entire life. I give you who I am, my giftings, my talents, my abilities. I give it all to you. Or does he sacrifice everything for you? If you would in this room, be honest with yourself, you'd be honest with me. We won't belabor the point, but this is the whole crux of what we do. The whole reason why we do it. If you be honest with yourself, you'd be honest with me. Say, Pastor Jonathan, today, this morning, I'd like to meet Jesus. I'd like to receive him in my heart. If you'd be honest with yourself and be honest with me, no one looking around, just a private moment. If you would just slip your hand up so I know who I'm praying with. Is anybody in this room this morning say, Pastor Donald, that's me. Please pray for me. I'll give you just a few seconds. I see your hand. Anybody else this morning say, that's me. I see your hands in the back. Anywhere else? I see your hand right there. Give you a few more minutes. I see you over there. Just a few more seconds. That's me, Pastor Donald. Pray for me. Give me five seconds. Five. Four, three, two, one. I see your hands, hands all across the room. You can put your hands down with us this morning. The Bible's really clear and simple about, about salvation. It says if we would believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that he's the son of the living God, then you shall be saved. It's in the book of Romans. This morning I want to lead you in a prayer. I want all my friends to repeat this prayer after me. There's nothing special about the words or the way you formulate it. Nothing like that at all. But it's how you meet it in your heart. If you raise your hand and you meant it with everything that you had, you say, that's me. And I believe this morning is the day of your salvation. The day that, that things begin to change for you. The day you join the team. The day reward becomes yours. 
So everybody in this sanctuary this morning, repeat this after me. Say, Jesus, I love you. I give you my heart. I pray right now that you fill me with your Holy Spirit. And I promise right now to do my best to live for you. Lord, I make myself available for your use. In Jesus' name. Amen. Would you just lift one hand up before the Lord across this room? Father, I pray for every man and woman in this house. Lord, as we move from 2018 to 2019, Lord, we lift our hand before you and we say we are available. We're available to be used by you. We're available to have an ever-present relationship with you throughout the day. Jesus, thank you for this great word. Thank you for challenging our hearts. Lord, we recognize it's not about giftings and talents. It's being available for you. We say yes to you today, Jesus. Yes to what you have need of. Our lives are not our own, but they belong to you. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said amen and amen.